If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're going to start a new sermon series. It's entitled The Journey of the Cross. Uh, kind of stealing or jumping on uh, the name of the devotional that we're going through as a church uh, during this Lent season, preparing us uh, for Easter Sunday and the reality. So we're going to be journeying together to the cross. And as we journey, there's so many different ways that we can look to God's word because really all of God's word is going to tell us one glorious story of who God is and how God rescues us through his son. And the only way he can rescue us is through a cross, through his life, death, and resurrection. So I'm hoping that you are on that journey. And that really, we can find that journey from Genesis to Revelation. But what we're going to do as a church here at King's Chapel, we're going to camp out just in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to spend the next few weeks uh, looking at uh, the reality of the journey to the cross that, that Jesus would take. Uh, it's in Luke 9. It's a turning point of the Gospels, a turning point in a way that we find out who this Jesus really is. I hope and pray it's been a turning point in all of our lives. And, and it's, it's in the midst of this turning point where we see Jesus, it says literally in the text that he set his face toward Jerusalem, that he knew his purpose had come. He knew what he was called to do. He knew that what it would cost him to do it for our rescue. And he knew that he wasn't going to let anything get in his way, uh, that he was going to go. He was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to go and he was going to be betrayed. He was going to go and he was going to experience all the anguish and the horror and the hell of sin and death. But why? So he could rescue us. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews will say, he did it for joy, for the joy set before him. But in the book of Luke here, we're going to see that he sets his face in a certain direction saying, I got to go because I got to come and rescue my people. Let me ask you this question. When did you know uh, what it was that you were to do with your life when you grew up? When was it that you knew uh, that, man, uh, I, I must do this? I look around the room and I know some of your stories. Uh, some of you are, were in law enforcement and so were your, it was your family. Or uh, some of you might have been teachers and, and so were your family members. Uh, some of you might have chosen medicine or a business career. But when was it? When was it that, that you knew what it was? Or are you still trying to figure it out? I mean, uh, many of us are kind of there too. You know, hey, I'm not quite grown up yet, right? I see some heads nodding from people that aren't spring chickens. Um, still trying to figure it out. But was there a turning point? Was there, was there a turning point in your life where you realized, ah, I got to pivot. I thought I was going this way. I thought I was going to do this, but th th this has happened in my life, and now there's a, a, a significant pivot or turning point to go in another direction. I, I said a little bit this morning uh, during King's Kids to Conrad that I had a grandmother that tousled my hair at a very early age, and some of my earliest memories is that she was saying, I'm praying that you'll be a pastor someday, Jeffrey, uh, that, that you'll be a blessing to other people. And I remember that vividly, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a businessman. Quite frankly, if I'm being honest with you, I wanted to be a successful one. I wanted to have some stuff. And so I went to the Harvard of the South, Florida Southern College, uh, to, to get a business degree that would propel me uh, in the future. But that's where I started. Started right off in New York City. I started working for in Midtown Manhattan for a Fortune 200 company and thought I was on my way. But there was a pivot in my life that was coming. It was my grandma's prayers that would come to fruition. 
that I would realize that my calling was not as a businessman, although I enjoyed my time doing that. My calling was as a pastor. And I know this, is this is what God has made me to do. Uh, and I love what I do. It's hard, um, but I hope that you know what God has created you to do. Um, and uh, again, there might have been a pivot in that. Again, uh, I see some of you, you followed in the footsteps of, of maybe one who's gone before you. And I, I love that. We live in a time where, gosh, <laughs> to be whatever you want to be, there's so many opportunities. Are there not in this day and age? I mean, it's almost like, what do you want to do? You can almost do anything. I mean, now that they got this thing called the interwebs and stuff like that, uh, what, what do you really want to be? Well, when Jesus walked the earth, times were different. When Jesus walked the earth, typically what people did was what their parents did. If their parents were fishermen, guess what they became? Fishermen. If their parents were carpenters, guess what they did? They probably became carpenters. You learned the trade of the family. Uh, and if, by the way, if you know people who are carpenters or, or different trades, some are better than others. Can you imagine growing up in a home of carpenters and you have, like, my skill and ability to make things? I mean, talk about frustrating. And you know? I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, Lord, are you sure you have me in the right family? But even if you grow up in a certain family and that's where you are heading in, oftentimes we're going to find a turning point. And that's what we find in the Gospels. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, isn't it interesting? They were doing that which they thought they were created to do. They thought that that was their destiny. This was their life. They were following something else. Um, they weren't following after Jesus. So we know in the Gospels, it's so beautiful. We hear of Peter and Andrew. Guess where they are? They're fishing, right? They're fishing. They're doing the fisher thing. And, and Jesus says, hey, guys, there's a turning point here. I'm going to say, follow me. And they, follow, they drop their nets and they follow him. I love it because more fishermen, James and John, uh, the sons th of Zebedee, the, thons, uh, the sons of thunder, uh, they're called. I don't know why. Uh, brothers, sons of thunder. Uh, I don't know. I, I know that I'd want to be their friends. If I have two bros and they're called sons of thunder, I want to know why, right? And so you have these two fishermen, James and John. And the Gospel of Matthew says that when Jesus comes upon them, it's really cool. Guess what they're doing? They're mending their nets. And guess who they're mending their nets with? Their father. They're learning the father's trade, right? I mean, here they are. They're with pops. They're in the family boat. Uh, you know, they, they're familiar with the boat, the smell of the boat, the sight of the boat. This is probably the most comfortable place they are ever been, uh, is in that boat. Uh, they're mending the nets with pops. Their dad uh, kind of talking about life. And all of a sudden, this character, Jesus, rolls around, and he says to them, Hey, fellas, James and John, forget this fishing for fish. I want to make you fishers of men. I want you to follow me. And they have this turning point where they leave it all. I mean, they leave their nets, it says. They leave their boat. Think about what they left, guys. Hit, hit pause on that for a minute. I mean, this, this isn't like, hey, I was casually like throwing a line in the water. This is like I'm learning the family trade, right? I'm walking in the steps of my family, and all of a sudden, they leave it all. As a matter of fact, it even says this, they left their father. Huh. That's a pivot. They left their father right there in the boat. Hey, Dad? <laughs> Mend the old nets yourself. Uh, Dad, uh, you're on your own. Dad, I know you, you raised us boys. I, I, met, I met the joy that you had in your heart when you said, it's another boy. He's like, that's another fisherman. I mean, the joy of thinking I'm finally going to be able to watch more of the water and have them fish more, you know. And here they go. He says, Jesus' character comes along. And they said, hey, Dad, 
we're out of here. We're leaving it all. We're turning to him. What an amazing turning point. Well, Jesus grew up. What kind of household did Jesus grow up in? Carpenters, right? His, his, his uh, earthly father, um, Joseph, he was a carpenter. What everybody assumed he would be, uh, Jesus would be a carpenter. But don't we know the story? It's so beautiful. We know that Jesus wasn't called to, to build tables and chairs or homes. Uh, he was called to build the kingdom of God. I mean, he was called to do something much bigger. Uh, that is to rescue lost sheep. Uh, Jesus was born to save his people from sin and death. And by the way, Jesus knew why he was born. He knew why he was on this earth. And some of the crazy liberal theologians want to say, oh, Jesus didn't know. He didn't know who he was, didn't know what he was called to do. Nonsense. Although the, the scriptures don't tell us a lot about Jesus' life, tells us a lot about his birth. It tells us a really cool story of what happened when he was 12 and went to the temple at that important time in a young Jewish boy's life. Uh, it's kind of silent until his earthly ministry of about 30 years old. But he knew uh, what he was born to do. And he knew that at the right time, he would begin this public ministry. And God knew it too. God would pour his spirit upon him to anoint him and to empower him. And we see a, a, a turning point in his ministry. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you read closely the, the ministry of Jesus and you're told the story, you will see a pivot, a turning point, and it's when his disciples finally get it. And they don't usually get it, and they didn't fully get it here, but they get it that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the, the Christ of God, is, as uh, the Gospel of Luke would say. And because of that reality, because now the time had come, Jesus would have like this tunnel vision. And he would know that he, what he came to accomplish. He would set his face toward Jerusalem. And he would say, I've come to die so that we can live. Hey, let me hit pause. Ladies, do you ever see your husbands uh, or your, your, or can guys get tunnel vision? I mean, I, I don't know. Girls might be able to get tunnel vision as well. Ladies might. But it seems like something happens to a guy. Sometimes we can't think of multiple things, you know? I mean, it's just like, wow, if that's it, I can't hear anything else. <laughs> Hello, you listening? I can't see anything else. I mean, it's almost like, I don't know about you, but there's times my family says, are you there? I mean, I'm, I've, I've locked into something, right? And so here we see in Scripture, Jesus locked into something, and that something was our rescue through a Roman cross. He wasn't going to miss it. Tunnel vision. But even with that, though he knew what to do, there was confusion all around Jesus. Who he was, what he was to do. There was confusion then. Guess what? There's confusion now, right? Um, but we need clarity. And where do we get clarity? We get clarity from God's word. Who is this Jesus and what did he come to do? So we're going to see uh, in this passage that we're going to look at in Luke, from confusion to confession, a lot of confusion, who he is, to a confession of who he really is. Um, we will see from suffering to glory, uh, that this is the pattern for Jesus. Uh, it starts with suffering. It ends in glory. And we're going to see from death to life. Interesting, this is our call. We are called to die before we truly live. So let's look to God's Word. I told you we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in front of you in the uh, pew. Luke chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. Then I'm going to pick up verse 51. Let's hear God's holy, inerrant word. Luke 9, verse 18. 
Now it happened that as he was praying alone, Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. We see more of this conversation given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 16. But verse 21, After hearing that you are the Christ, and he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, huh? saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit does it for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will never taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We'll unpack that next week. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for this amazing turning point in the Gospels, this turning point in Scripture, when by your grace, Peter and the disciples were able to realize of who you are, Jesus. You're more than one of the prophets, that you are the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ of God, the Son of the living God, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Oh God, we thank you for the grace that you've given to Peter, to the disciples, and to us who are yours, to know who Jesus truly is. Oh God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as the Messiah, may today be the day. And it's anybody watching online. But God, for all of us, may we see clearly who Jesus is, take away any confusion in our lives, so that we know, God, who we are to follow and what he requires of us. It's amazing, this little passage, Lord, as we journey to the cross. Holy Spirit, come and be teacher. Speak through a broken vessel like me. Give us ears to hear your voice and minds to understand your word. God, that you give us soft hearts that are pliable in your hands that embrace your truth. And that the Holy Spirit and the gospel would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you would use the good news of the gospel to make us more like Jesus. And we pray in his matchless name. Amen. First thing we're going to see, even in this passage, is there's confusion before confession. And it's clear throughout the story, throughout the gospel story, throughout the Bible story, a lot of confusion of who the Messiah is. A lot of confusion of who Jesus is. 
And the first thing we see in the scripture, especially in the gospel of Luke, I'm going to try to walk you a little bit through that quickly, is we see that there was hometown confusion. Hometown confusion in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. Jesus is in his hometown, Nazareth, and he is, he is in the synagogue, and someone hands him a scroll of Isaiah, and he unravels the scroll and reads it. That's how it was in his day. He didn't have a Bible like this. They had scrolls. And he gets to the point of the, the reading of today, and he mentions that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the captives, to those who are, who are bound and free. The Spirit of God is upon me to proclaim this good news. He rolls up the scroll. He hands it back. And he says, folks, today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here. What, what Isaiah promised 700 years ago is now here in flesh and blood before you. I am the anointed Messiah in his hometown. And what does his hometown do? They rejoice. They thank the Lord. They said one of our own is the actual Messiah. Isn't this fantastic? Jesus is Lord. No, they didn't. They said, wait a minute. What? Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're saying this is fulfilled? In, what are you saying? You are... Joseph's son, you are the carpenter boy. You're going to be the boy who's going to become a carpenter as well. You are a lunatic. What are you doing? They literally tried to kill him. They took him to a cusp of the hill. They wanted to knock him over the hill. They wanted to take him out. Because why? Because people who claim to be Messiah, people who claim to be God and aren't, are dangerous people. Jim Jones. David Koresh, anybody who claims to be God and isn't, you got to deal with them. And so they realize, oh my goodness, there's some hometown confusion. This, this boy thinks he's the Messiah. Let's take him out. Well, there's more than just hometown confusion. We're going to see Peter's confusion. Peter, I love it, how Peter really came to follow the Lord. He had the biggest, he's out fishing, and here's a carpenter telling him how to fish. Don't you hate it when someone doesn't know your business, they tell you how to do it? I mean, don't tell me how to preach. I'm pretty good at it. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you can. I'm sorry. That was a bad analogy. It wasn't in my notes. Let me take it back. But if you know what you're doing, and someone else tells you, and it gets frustrating, right? So here he's got, he's got a car, he's got a fish, he's got a carpenter, a guy who's a carpenter, tell him how to fish. He's like, dude, I, I mean, I've been doing this my whole life, you know? I know how to fish. He says, well, well, throw the net over there. Okay? He's cleaned it, but fine, I'll throw it over there. Gets in the biggest haul of fish. He can't even pull it in the boat, right? I mean, the boat's about to sink. And Peter starts to realize, this carpenter is not just any normal carpenter. And he says this, he says, he says, wow, depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinner. Now, here's Peter's confusion. He starts to see, by God's grace, who this carpenter Jesus really is. That, that this is amazing. And, and he starts to see the reality, but he doesn't see him as the Messiah. He should have said, Jesus, I am a sinner, and you are the Messiah, and you've come for the lost sheep like me. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to hold on to you. Jesus, you're going to be my Lord, and I'm going to follow you. That's going to come in Peter's life. We're going to see it, right? But what does he say? Jesus, I realize that there's something about you that's holy, that you are part of this holy God, and I want you to depart from me because I'm not. I mean, that's confusion. If you come to the reality of who Jesus is, and you know he's holy God, and you run from him, man, I mean, that's our only hope. But he asked Jesus to leave from him. And then you have John the Baptist's confusion. This is in Luke 7. By the way, Luke 5 is Peter's confession, 1 through 11. Confusion. Peter's confusion. Then John the Baptist's confusion in Luke 
7, 18 through 20. And this is, this is really interesting. Remember, John the Baptist, actually Jesus' cousin, was a forerunner in the, in the spirit of Elijah. And he came saying, hey, prepare the way of the Lord. Here comes the Messiah. He's coming. And by the way, he's so amazing. I'm not even worthy to untake, take off his sandals. And this is, I'm not the one. He's the one. He's great. I mean, he is incredible. And so John is, is out uh, making a living out in the desert, like wearing like uh, the weirdest clothes you could ever wear. He's eating like locusts and honey. And he's just out there like, hey, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You know, the Messiah is going to come around the corner. He's like so excited, a forerunner for Jesus. And guess how well it turned out for John? He gets arrested. He gets thrown in prison. He's going to lose his head. And do you know what he does in prison? He's hearing about Jesus. He's like, hey, will you guys go back to Jesus? And will you ask Jesus this question? This is, this is John the Baptist. He says, will you ask Jesus this question? Are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Why would he say that? He's in prison, right? He didn't picture it folding, unfolding this way. I mean, he thought, hey, I'm the forerunner for the Messiah, right? I'm going to proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God is going to come, and we're going to have victory. Rome is going to be in our rearview mirrors. Finally, the kingdom is going to come. Finally, we're going to be on the winning side. This is going to be amazing. And here he is sitting in prison trying to think, what in the heck is this all about? What kind of Messiah is this? Are you the one? Should we be looking for somebody else? Even the disciples' confusion. One chapter before this, in, in, in Luke chapter 8. Remember, these are fishermen, and they're on the water. Fishermen on the water who get afraid of a storm. How bad is that storm? Right? I mean, aren't they used to it? So they get so afraid of a storm, and they, these guys are, like, terrified. Um, and Jesus, like, you know, he, he sleeps through those things. And he, he, they, they, they get to his tent. Hey, Jesus, he, he stands up and he, he says to the wind, the wind, he says to the wind, be still, stop it. Kind of what you want to say to your kids when they're just like acting crazy, you know? You want to just scream at them and just say, can everybody just stop what you're doing? Silence, peace, come on, right? So Jesus gets up in the boat and he yells at the wind and the waves. And they listen. And there's peace. And his disciples are no longer afraid of the storm. They're afraid of the one in the boat. And they think, oh my goodness. Who is this? Who is this? Because even the wind and the waves listen to him. That was only just one chapter ago. Then you get the crowd's confusion. Jesus, I love it. He's in prayer. It says here, and again, Matthew tells us a little bit more that they had a conversation going to a place called Caesarea Philippi. But Jesus is going to say, hey, who do the crowd say I am? And there was confusion, but they were saying, hey, they, they think that you're kind of like a prophet. You know, you might like, like, you, like John the Baptist who's come back from the dead or maybe Elijah that was to be a forerunner. or You're like, like some kind of prophet that's come back. They were confused. And a prophet, what did a prophet do? He announced what was to come. A prophet announced what was coming, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus isn't one in a line of many. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, but he's not Elijah, John the Baptist. He's so much greater. He is the one who has come. But they were confused. Who is this guy? But then you get Peter's confession. But who do you say? And Peter, man, he knocks it clear out of the park. It's the most beautiful confession 
Again, there's a little bit more given in Matthew chapter 16. But here Luke records for us that you are the Christ. You are the Christ of God. Now remember, most people think Jesus Christ, maybe it's his last name, Christ. No, 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 it's a title. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. That's literally, you are the anointed one. Anointed with the Spirit of God. You're anointed by the Father to be the king. A king was anointed. Anointed, uh, think of Samuel anointing David. Uh, you are the anointed Messiah, the anointed king uh, to come, the promised one. So Peter is saying an incredible mouthful here. You are the Christ. You are the promised Messiah, the hopeful king in the line of David to come and rescue us. But then Jesus says this really interesting thing. And again, I don't want to get lost here, but i got to tell you to you. There's something called this messianic secret. Why in the world, once it comes out that Jesus, you are the Christ, why would Jesus, the best evangelist ever, tell them, don't tell anybody? Isn't that, isn't that kind of bizarre? You are the Christ. And by the way, you got it, but don't tell anybody. Why would he say that? Well, listen, he's going to tell us all to start proclaiming that on mountaintops, but the timing had to be right, and the setting had to be right. I mean, it's almost like, hey, this Messiah thing, we got to make sure that the right timing happens, because why? Because if it's not, if it gets out, um, there's a plan that i got to follow, and it goes to a Roman cross, and I'm going to have to be rejected and, deni and denied and crucified. Let me put it this way. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, verse 15, John, Jesus just feeds the 5,000. He feeds them, and he does it with a little boy's lunch. He takes a couple of fish and some bread, and he feeds 5,000. And by the way, that's just the men. It doesn't include the women and children, Right? So he's got this multitude, and they're like, holy cow, that was the best fish and chips I've ever had. And 6.15, it says, let's make him king. They wanted to force him to be king. Now, hit pause. Man always has a plan for God. Man always has a plan of how God should bless our lives, how God should fix our lives, how God should interact in our lives. God, you're welcome here, not so much here. God, come and do that. Don't do this. God, let me tell you in my way. So what they want to do is say, okay, this, this Jesus guy, let's make him king. He's like, he slipped away from him. I'm not going to let you make me king. My kingdom doesn't come from you. It comes from the Father. And so he was basically saying this messianic secret, like, hey, the timing has to be right. And until it is, we've got to keep it a little bit on the down low. Um, but what he did is he set his face toward Jerusalem. But then as soon as he, as soon as, listen, as soon as you, he acknowledges who he is. Now watch this. This is, this is incredible. He says, now this is what I must do, and this is what you must do. Now here's the point. Enter in. Just lean in with me for this. If you are here and have the grace of God, and this is grace, to say that Jesus is the Christ. He wants you to know exactly this is what the Christ does, and this is what followers do, okay? This is what the Christ does. And what we see is from suffering to glory. Now put yourself in their sandals. They thought you are the Christ. Rome is on the way out. We're going to get rid of the bad guys. We're finally going to rule and reign right here on earth. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get what we long for. And he's going to blow their mind. He says, listen, you're right. I am the Christ. But the Son of Man must suffer many things. Wait a minute. You're the anointed king to come. You are actually the son of God. You're here to suffer? Wait, wait, wait. You're here to suffer many things? 
how can the king's way to his kingdom be via suffering? Well, you've got to look at the story. You, you get to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it says there's a servant who's going to come, and he's a suffering servant. And the only way, watch this, the only way for God to rescue the broken, the lost, and the suffering is to God to be a sufferer. It's, it's to God to come and be pierced for our transgressions and to, to be wounded and to have the, our iniquity placed on him. And through his wounds, we're healed. And so he says, he blows their mind, and they didn't fully get it until they got the Holy Spirit. But listen, Son of God, I have come, the Son of Man, I've come to suffer. I must suffer many things. And then he says, I must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. All the religious elite, all those you would think that would get it first, all those that supposedly spent their life and were getting paid to look for the Messiah, they're all going to reject me. And Scripture is going to be fulfilled. Psalm 118, the, the cornerstone is going to be rejected by these people. They are going to be rejected. Think about what's about to come in the, the mock trial. And by the way, he says, I will be killed and on the third day be raised again from the dead. You remember, hit pause again. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew exactly what he came to do. And Jesus knew that it included a Roman cross. But he also knew on the other side of that came victory. From suffering to glory. And now that is true for him and it's true for us. We want glory now. Hate suffering. Fast forward that picture, right? Get rid of that. Put that in the rearview mirror. If it was true for Jesus, it's going to be true for Jesus' followers. I mean, the reality is, is the, 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 the good life is not here now. It's not, it's to come. Uh, and then thirdly and lastly, from death into life. He says, okay, uh, you got this Christ. Now, if anyone wants to follow me, now, he goes beyond his disciples, he includes us. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You want to follow Jesus? Okay. It starts with denial. <laughs> it starts with a death. Your death. Your death to a dream that you had of, of Conrad saying, God bless him, I want to do whatever I want to do, right? I mean, it's, it's like, I mean that, that's that reality of I want to get to that grown point. And listen, blessings to him because he nailed it because that's all, in all of our hearts. I just want to do what I want to do. Mom, quit telling me what to do. Dad, I'm not going to clean my room anymore. I just want to do it, right? And so here's the reality of denying yourself. And, you know, denying yourself, watch this. This is denying your ultimate identity. This is the gospel audacity to say that Jesus is Lord and he's your identity. Now you're going to say, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to pick up my, what's going to identify me is be a follower of Christ. I'm going to bear that. I mean, that is going to be my new identity. And I got to do it how often? Once? No. Twice? No. Daily? Daily and follow him. You want to follow me? I love what Jesus says. I mean, he says, listen, this is what it's about. It's about denying. It's about denying yourself and following me, a new identity. Second thing, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I mean, it's just craziness. Jesus says, yeah, I, I do have a life and life abundantly. But you've got to open up your hands. You've got to open up your heart. And all the things that filled your heart you thought would bring you life and all the things you're clinging on like crazy thinking, this is my identity, it's my life, you've got to let them go. I got a treasure for you that's better than anything the world has. If you want to really, really, <laughs> if you want to save your life, you've got to give it away. You've got to give it to me. 
It's the safest thing you could do, but you've got to give it to me. If you're trying to cling on to life, you're going to lose it, and it's going to end tragically. He's basically saying not only do you need a new identity, you need a new mission. You need a new purpose. And of all the things the world offers, I'm offering you me. And seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first my righteousness. You want to follow me? Lose your life, and you'll find it. But then he goes on to say, well, what profit a man to gain the whole world and loses his very self? He says, he, here, here it is. Now listen, we're going we're gonna to end the point. We're going to line it right here. Here it is. Do you want possessions or do you want a person? Do you want the world or do you want Jesus? I mean, what, what, what is it? Here's the turning point. I am the Christ. I am the promised Messiah, Jesus would say. I've come to rescue you. And now what is it? I'm not something that you add into your portfolio. I'm not one of many. You don't wedge me in. You've got to clear everything out to, to let me in. I mean, to that identity, your ultimate identity needs to be me. Your ultimate purpose needs to be my kingdom. Your, your joy, it needs to be found in me. Do you want the world? Do you want everything the world has to offer and lose your soul? Or do you want me? And have everything that God offers. And gain your soul. And by the way, and you gain all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. How is it with you? Where is Jesus in your life? Have you had that turning point where you could say he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Are you living for him? Are you pursuing after the world? I mean, may we hear the words of Jesus. May we have the grace of God that says you are the Christ, the Christ of God, the son of the living God. And now, because of who you are, here's my life. And let me live. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for this amazing turning point. We thank you for Peter, the one in the boat, that just a few chapters before would say to Jesus, get away from me, because you're holy and I'm not. But he would come to the realization that this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We knew he had some work to do. He still would deny you to a servant girl and says he would swear he never knew you but god you would never let go of him for any of us who come to you and know the truth that you are lord and savior you will never let us go but god you require much of us jesus you gave your life to rescue us and you say now it's our turn if we want to really live we're to lose our lives we're to lose our identity in ourself and find it in you we're to lose our mission in ourself and find it in you. We don't want the world's stuff. We want you. And God, please, for your glory, help us get there. God, I pray for the one who doesn't know you. May today be the day that they don't pursue what the world offers, but pursue you. And God, for the one who's here struggling, that seems like their life is pursuing the world's possessions. Oh, God, set us back on track. And God, may King's Chapel be a place that forever proclaims Jesus and Jesus alone is the Christ of God, and we will follow him. Amen.